0: Well, howdy. Come on, everybody knew that was coming, right? I didn't know he was going to say that, but it's right. I'm from Texas. I'm allowed to say that. So, and you guys just got to deal with it. So, with both me being from Texas and saying howdy. Here's the reality. Welcome to our last message of the marriage series that we've been doing. You guys enjoyed the, the whole series? It's been incredible. Whether you've been married or you haven't been married... Hopefully you've been able to receive some nuggets of truth and just blessing of what God has been doing through this. We've had a lot of great speakers. Um, There's been some really cool things that have been happening over the last few weeks. Even a couple weeks during the marriage series, we did a two-week deal here um, on Sunday nights for singles. Because we believe that, you know, God has things that he wants to share with single people about marriage and about relationships as well. That may not be exactly the same thing that we would teach um, you know, on a standard weekend to married couples. And so we did a, a whole deal called Sacred Singles. It was wildly successful. I heard that, that people loved it. I, I stayed for a little bit of one of them. Um, and God's doing some cool stuff in our church and in our marriages and in the singles. Um, but we're wrapping up the series um, today. And we are actually doing a Campus Pastor Weekend. And so that's why I'm here. And we're not going to be recording this for any other service um, other than just for you guys here and the people that are live streaming us right now. Each campus pastor is teaching at their, their separate campuses. So but before we jump into the message, I just, as always, I want to make sure that we build a foundation upon what God wants to have happen. So if you guys would just pray with me real quick before we dive in. Father, we thank you for this opportunity this weekend to come here and to to, to sing your praises, Lord, and to give you our hearts and our minds. And what we do right now is we open ourselves up to everything that you want to say, Lord God, everything that your Holy Spirit wants to direct. We give you that authority. Father, I give you my words, my notes, my thoughts, Lord God, and I just pray that we would be able to go off page, that it's not mine, but that is what you want to say. It's the heart that you want to share, Lord God. I thank you for the marriages of this church. I pray for strengthening, Uh, a tighter binding of the marriages of this church, Lord God, um, in supernatural ways. And I pray that that could even happen this weekend, that that's been happening over the last few weeks. And we thank you for the opportunity to be here and to be doing this. And we love you, Father, and we give you this this evening. And we pray. Everyone said, Amen. Well, hey, um, for the last message, we're calling this the rest of the story. How many of you guys know Paul Harvey? You guys have heard old Paul Harvey on on the radio, the rest of the story. Well, we thought it was kind of a creative way of talking about our personal stories as campus pastors, and then talking about over the last period of however long we've been married, for Amy and I, it's been eight years, not a really ridiculous amount of time, but there's been a lot that we've learned in those eight years. Um, We wanted to just share about our lives, a little bit about our testimony, a little bit about how we got where we are, and then a lot about um, the, the next, you know, stint, what God's been teaching us and and what really I feel like God's put on my heart to share with each of you guys this weekend. Um, Here's the reality. You know, I think that people many times glamorize the idea of being a pastor. People think that pastors so many times live these fairy tale lives where they don't have the ups and downs of normal life, where they're immune to the things of this world coming and infiltrating and and causing us at least the same amount of of discomfort or difficulty or stresses and strains and things like that. But the reality is, is we as pastors are not um, superhuman. Um, If you were to follow me around for any amount of time, you'd realize that that's the truth, that I'm a real human being with a lot of faults. Um, My wife, if she was sitting up here, would amen that. Here's the reality, though. Um, We live in reality. We live in the same world that you guys live in. We live with the same struggles that you guys live with. Um, We just happen to be up in front of everybody as we do that. And while we teach... Many times what we're teaching are from, and hopefully most of the times what we're teaching are from our successes or our failures. Most of the time, it's a failure that we've learned something from, and then we've turned it into, um, we put principles to it and learned from how to turn it into a success. And that's many times what we teach. And so what, I, what I'm bringing, um, I want to just be able to, to really let everybody know we're normal people. And we've, we've gone through our ups and our downs, and our lives have not been perfect, and you guys have probably seen that from the front, for sure. Um, but I wanted to share a little bit about our story. And by our story, I mean my wife, Amy, and myself. Um, we have been married, like I said, for almost eight years, and September will be eight years, but our story started quite a bit longer before that. It started nine years ago. So it started, <laughs> that was a joke. Um, I know that that's not really a whole long time, um, but, but I think that God, and you'll see through our story, that God's done something in these eight years. It's almost like been an extended amount of time with the, the things that have happened with us. In June of 2003, for those of you who don't know, my wife Amy and I met um, working in an in a international um, interdenominational Christian missions organization called YWAM, Youth with a Mission. Fantastic organization, incredible things that they're doing across the globe, reaching people for Christ All over the world. Um, We happen to be stationed in Kona, Hawaii. And every time I tell somebody that, they're like, oh, you're suffering for the Lord. Ha, ha, ha. Don't tell me that. I've heard that a million times. Um, Hawaii's a great place if you can get off the island every once in a while, um, which we did. So we were there. We both went. um, And it was June of 2003. Whenever I came, Amy was already there. She had already been there for um, about six months. And uh, I came and I met her, and there was no real fireworks, no real great chemistry or any of that kind of stuff. In fact, her first impression of me, um, if you were to ask her today, all she could think about was how I resembled one of her friends. I I mean, she told me that like 30 times in the first week. She's like, you look just like this guy named Chris. You look just like this guy named Chris. She just kept telling me that over and over again. Obviously, I was impressionable to her in the sense of reminding her of somebody else. Um, My impression of her was I thought she was a little wild, a little crazy. She was kind of doing crazy things. She loved to pull pranks on people and things like that. And, you know, that's, that's kind of who she was. Um, but we weren't really interested in each other. There was, real, there was nothing there. Um, when we met in June, it wasn't like we disliked each other, but there was really no chemistry. Um, and then something happened in January of 2004 that I believe supernaturally was a bit of a turning point that started something that God wanted to have happen, but we didn't see it yet. In January of 2004, um, we had just led a team. I had just led a team of young... Um, YWAMers, to uh, the island of Fiji. We had spent two and a half months in the island of Fiji uh, doing ministry, doing some amazing things. Amy had been traveling the globe visiting teams that we had located all over the world. Um, And we all congregated back. There's about 35 of us, staff and students alike, in Fiji getting ready to go back home. And home at that point in time was Hawaii. Well, as we boarded the plane in Fiji, it was late one night. All 35 of us boarded the plane, only to hear them come over the loudspeaker telling us that there was a typhoon between the island of Fiji and the island of Hawaii, and that they had to um, disin- they had to, to take. Uh, a large portion of people off of this aircraft so that they could go around it but have enough fuel to do so, so that the weight was down and they were able to do what they needed to do. Well, naturally, what they decided to do, they knew that there was a group of 35 people on there and they thought, well, that's about the amount of people that we need to get off this plane. Let's just go ahead and kick the one group of 35 people off the airplane. And that's what they did. So they booted myself, Amy, and all of our team members off of the plane and they put us up in a hotel and they said, hey, we're going to work with trying to get you guys back to Hawaii. We just can't do it right now. We spent the next three days working very uh, hard, very avidly at getting small groups of our team onto other aircrafts and back to Hawaii. Um, it, was a, it was a pretty hard task to do because the reality is, is that all of the other planes were booked. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, but when they kick you off of a plane, they don't necessarily put you in priority position on another plane. I don't know why, but they just say, hey, you know, you're gonna get the remainder of what happened. So we spent the next three or four days trying to get 35 people back to Kona, Hawaii. We were, it was really crazy. If you know anything about geography, uh, the, the island of Fiji and the island of Hawaii are not very far away from each other. Um, it's just a few-hour flight, um, but they were actually taking our, ourselves and our teams in groups of like three or four or five and they were flying them to Australia and then to New Zealand and then to Los Angeles and then back to Hawaii. And, I mean, that's the kind of routes that we were taking back home. That's the kind of crazy trips that were happening. They turn a, a four-and-a-half-hour plane ride into a two-and-a-half-day two and um, process. So we're working through this, trying to get our students back. And Amy was actually my leader at the time. I was leading a team, but she was the assistant leader of the entire school. And she was leading this portion of the globe with all of the teams. And so we're just getting teams leaving, going. And it finally gets down to the last group of six of us. There's six of us, myself, Amy, and four students. And we get to the airlines and they say, hey, we were able to send five more people out. What five do you guys want to send out? And Amy, as the leader, and as she's, she's, uh, if you guys know anything about my wife, she's a go-getter. She's like, she puts her head down, she gets stuff done. She said, okay, the five of you guys are going, I'm going to stay here and I'll take the next flight out. And I turned around and I said, there ain't no way that's going to happen. I said, there's no way that I'm going to leave with these people and leave you behind on this island as a woman by yourself to fend for yourself to get back to Kona, Hawaii. Well, she didn't really take very well to that. She didn't like that news that I told her. And she said, hey, look, here's the reality. I'm your leader, I'm your authority, and you're gonna get on that plane. And I said, I don't care at this point in time. I'm not gonna to listen to you, whether, regardless of who you are. You're a woman, and I'm not gonna leave you here alone. And so the rest of our four students jumped on a plane, went back, and I eventually, the next day, escorted Amy, I escorted Amy. She would say that she escorted me back to Kona, Hawaii. Well, little did I know that later on that year, that was January of 2004, that later on that year, December of 2004, I would take a trip with my best friend and she would take a trip with her best friend on Christmas Um, time of the Christmas week of 2004 to the island of Oahu. Um, One of my friends had a buddy out there whose parents owned a house on the North Shore, an incredible place, just just outside of a few of the most amazing surf spots in the world. Um, My wife was out there. She was staying at the YWAM base with one of her friends. And so we, as we were hanging out, because we knew each other, um, me and my best friend knew my wife and her best friend, we hung out. We would hang out every day. We would go surfing. We would go swimming. We would go eating. We would do all the different things that you do in Hawaii. You You know, just having fun through that Christmas time. Well, it was during this period of time, December of 2004, that, that I realized on the, in this trip, I kind of liked this girl a little bit. The one who had kind of put her hand in my face in that January, just kind of flexing her leadership muscle, I kind of started to grow closer to her. I, I thought, well, there's something inside of me that really is just drawn to her, and I couldn't really tell what it was, but I really struggled with it, and I was actually sharing this with my best friend. I was saying, look, Mike, I, I like Amy? but she's not even talking to me. Like, she's talking to all these other guys, she's doing all these other things, and I really like her, so why is it, I don't know, I don't think there's any chemistry here, and I was just really frustrated with the situation. Well, little did I know that on that exact same trip, she was telling her best friend how much she liked me, And how much she wishes that I would just come and talk to her um, rather than just kind of keeping her at arm's length and talking to everybody else. And she said to her best friend, she's like, I don't think he likes me. He won't talk to me. He won't share anything with me. Well, it's one of those, you know, like the, 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 the tension, the relational tension there of saying, I like this person, but I'm not bold enough to do anything about it. And we both had that problem. Therefore, we both actually thought that the other person didn't like us at all. So we spent that entire week there just truly stressing over this. What, what should have been really enjoyable was probably really unenjoyable for my best friend and her best friend because they are the ones that kept getting the earful about how we like the other person and that other person should show us that they like us. Well, December 25th, we came back home. December 26th, Amy and I were actually hanging out in, back in Kona, Hawaii um, by ourselves at my apartment. We went to go get something to eat and we were just friends. Um, and we went to go get a burger, and while we were in the car, I told Amy, I said, I, need, I want to tell you something. I need to tell you something. And she said, okay, what? And I said, well, I can't tell you right now, because it's like my palms were like sweaty, you know, and I'm like shaking. And she was like, well, that's great, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you're very um, open with what you want to tell me. And I was like, I just can't tell you right now. I can't tell you right here. I got to have some time. Um, and so she, she went in, got our food, we came back, and as we pulled into the parking lot of our apartments, I just finally was just like, okay, I like you. And I was like, all right, whew, it's out there. <laughs> now, whatever happens, happens. And sure enough, obviously, we're married. She turned back around and said, well, I like you too. And it was that simple. It was that simple. That was December of 2004. Um, after a few more trips and finishing out our Commitments in YWAM in June of 2005, we actually moved back here to Colorado, to Denver, Colorado, to um, to get married. We knew we wanted to get married. We came back here. We taught in June of 2005 in the kids camp um, of that year. We were only a single location church at that point in time, much smaller. Um, and we came back and, and said, "Hey, you know what? We'll come back for a year. We'll try to get established as a couple, and then we'll go back to YWAM." Our hearts were with the with the nations. We were with missions. We still love missions. Still love the nations. I've talked about that before. Um, and so we said, "Hey, we'll stay here for a year." Well, we got married September 23rd of 2005, and as you can see, it's 2013. So our our one year has now turned into almost eight years, and who knows what the Lord has, Um, but it's been an amazing ride. There's been some amazing things that have happened. In August of 2005, we actually became full-time kids pastors here at the church the month before we got married. In September of 2005, we got married. Um, in October of 2005, we got to take, um, we got the pleasure of going on the Israel trip with the church, and on that trip, we got the pleasure five weeks after marriage of getting pregnant. So we were, we were, uh, we were kind of on the fast track, if you, if, you, if you might say. You know, there was a whole process of some amazing things that were happening. We, in, in the period of just a few months, we went from, I like you, to I'm going to get married to you, to I'm going to have children with you, um, to be, I'm going to become a pastor with you. And so a really cool just... Uh, process that God had been taking us through. And in October of 2005, um, Amy got pregnant. Um, from 2005 to 2011, um, I did the media here at the church. Um, we did the kids pastoring for a, a, not even a year. Um, once Amy got pregnant, we determined that, that um, we wanted her to be a stay-at-home mom. And so she, she got out of that position, and God knows that I wasn't going to be a children's pastor by myself, um, and so I kind of am now at my house, um, <laughs> but the reality is, is he knew that I couldn't handle that at that point in time, and so um, we got out of that. I started doing full-time media, um, and then from 2007 to 2008, we actually became the children's pastors for the Heinz Ranch campus during a transition as well, but we've gone through the different things here at the church doing, doing you know, this, that, and the other, and 2011, we became the campus pastors here. Um, but as I share a bit about our story, I would be remiss. obviously, all of you guys are thinking, well, where do all the kids come in? I've talked to you about getting pregnant with one, but the reality is, is we have much, many more than one child. Um, so let me, let me share with you guys a little bit about the process of what we've walked through in our lives and some of the things that have shaped us with, to be who we are today, um, some of the ups and downs that we've experienced in our life. In July of 2006, Amy and I were blessed um, with the birth of a beautiful little girl who's now almost seven this next month, and her name is Isabel. Um, an incredible blessing God's just, just um, providing in our lives and just something cool that he did. In um, that very next year of 2007, February 2007, we became pregnant again, and in February of 2007, we experienced some of the most difficult things that we've ever experienced in our lives to this day, one of the most difficult things. And I, I cry about it every time I think about it. We lost, um, we lost our second child to miscarriage. And while we had experienced this amazing high, this peak of God doing some incredible stuff in our lives. In a very short amount of time, we felt like everything had been ripped away from us. And if you've never experienced it, you'll never be able to fully understand. When you walk through a process like that, it rips your heart from outside of your body and it takes it away from you. And we wrestled very hard that year of 2007, going through all of these different things, newly married, newly had a new child, new parents, new positions in this church. And then this whole thing got thrown at us. And we wrestled through it and we struggled through it. And I mean struggled through it. To this day, it's still a battle to think about, I came prepared, to think about <laughs> the process that we walked through at that point in time. And there's still very painful, as you can see, a very painful place um, that we walk through. But God is a redemptive God. And, and many people ask us, they say, why would you want ever want six kids and the reality is is i don 't know that we ever wanted six kids. Um, in fact, when we got married, we had that conversation just like any, any couple preparing to get married has, talked about having kids. And we said, I said this, I said, Amy, I don't want one kid because I don't want to have that, that, that one child syndrome of me just spoiling that child because that would be what I would do. Um, and I don't want to have three kids because I came from a family of three and I'm the middle child and I just feel for middle children. <laughs> that, that was kind of my mentality. I, you know, I, I probably foolish mentality not having any kids at that point in time, but that's what I said. And so we said, okay, well then we'll have two Kids, or we'll have four kids. And that's what we're going to do. And so we started down that path with the mentality that we're going to have two kids or have four kids. But in, in uh, 2007, when we experienced this miscarriage, our worlds were rocked so much that we really had to go back to God and, and reassess what, the way we thought about having kids. And what we felt like the Lord said is we prayed. And as we fervently walked through this, and as we struggled through the thought of even having another pregnancy that could even possibly end up in a miscarriage, what we felt like the Lord said is, I will redeem this. I want you to just put it into my hands. And so that's what we did. And lo and behold, God did redeem it. Um, And in January of 2008, our second daughter named Evangeline was born. Well, uh, we got pregnant again pretty quickly thereafter. And in September of 2008, we experienced another miscarriage. And so we had had one child, we had experienced a miscarriage, we had had a second child and we experienced a miscarriage. And at this point in time, a lot of things in our lives were up up just for question. Like, God, how do you let this happen? We felt like you said you would redeem this. We walked through the process. We put it in your hands. We've experienced the, the, the loss once. We've experienced the robbery once. But now you've allowed it to happen a second time. And we struggled with it and didn't have answers for it for such a long time, but still rested on the fact of what God had said and we decided we were going to keep going for it. And so we got pregnant again, obviously. In July of 2009, we had our daughter Lane. And in November of 2009, quickly thereafter, we had our third miscarriage. And so, as you could imagine, there's, that's not a fairy tale. It's not, this is not something that I would ever wish upon anybody, my worst of enemies. I would never wish upon this because the reality is, is this, these are some of the most difficult things that I could ever imagine somebody walking through in their lives. And they have shaped us to, to be the people that we are today. In fact, the, what I'm going to teach you guys about marriage today is, is part of the way that got us through this period of time and something that I still is, think is pivotal and believe that, that is foundational in our lives. Um, so in a period of just a few short years um, from being married in September of 2005, to November of 2009, we had experienced already six pregnancies, but three of them we had lost. And we felt like God still had said, I'm going to redeem this. I still am going to redeem this, Marcus and Amy. I'm going to do this. You need to put rest your, your faith in me. And that's all we had at that point in time. You know, all we had was faith in him because we didn't know what, what was going to happen. And, and believe me, after you've experienced it once, and especially after you have experienced it three times, that loss, um, the reality is, is there's a great fear that comes across whenever you even think about moving forward in this and and what can happen. But we knew that it was in God's hands and we let it be in God's hands. And the blessing was in October of 2010, our son Marcus was born. Quickly there following up in October of 2011. Yes, you're right. It's not even one year later. um, uh, We had our daughter Bronwyn. Um, Many of you guys know the story of Bronwyn. She alone in her own self, I believe that that God did an a incredible miracle. Um, and I know that God did some, some physical miracles in her life, but the reality was is we had just experienced having a viable pregnancy and a baby, having a miscarriage, having a baby, having a miscarriage, having a baby, having a miscarriage, having a baby. I believe that the Lord intervened in, in our daughter Brahman's life because as you guys know, she was born with something called a congenital diaphragmatic hernia that more than 50% of children with that die from that um, from, from that, that, uh, that illness or the thing that she had. Um, I won't go into details. Um, it's some internal things that happened in her body. And with how how dramatic and how drastic and how bad it was in her body, the doctors actually came back and said to us, it is a miracle that she is alive. Um, she stated she was in the... the Um, neonatal ICU. They transported her up to another hospital um, just within hours of her birth, gave her surgery just a couple days after her birth. But today, if you look at that girl, you would know that you would never know that something was ever wrong with her. God did something amazing to redeem the cycle that we were in, and I believe that God stopped it he put his hand in that situation and he stopped it and said, I'm not going to allow this to happen. Now, we experienced some difficulty here on, here, here on this side of it after her birth, um, but she's healthy. She's alive and she's going to be fine for the rest of her life. And God did something incredible there. And after that redemptive um, just work that God did in January of 2013, just a, about five and a half months ago, um, we had our last child, yes, our last child. <laughs> Um, Providence. And so if you can count, that's five girls and one boy. So pray for me, for sure. Um, but God's done some amazing things through that. We, we are so blessed by what God's done. Um, but as you can see, the last eight years of our marriage really have been that's, that's been it. You know, while we've been pastors and while we've done this and we've, we've moved forward in this, the, the thing that really has shaped us to be who we are is more than just being in the ministry. It's been the process of life that we've walked through together in marriage and having kids. And God has done some really amazing things and there's been some really difficult, really hard times that we've walked through. Um, since 2005 in the last eight years, and it's amazing what God's done. You know, today we're still campus pastors. We have, we have six kids, and we have three kids in heaven, and we're just moving forward in what He wants us to do. Um, but here's the deal. I constantly ask myself the question, what's it going to take to go 50 years, another 50 years even? What's it going to take to be, in our marriage, what's it going to take to get us down the road to where at the end of, end of one of our lives, we're like, that was successful. That was everything that God wanted it to be. You know, the reality is, is if you've been married for for eight days or eight years or eighty years, you realize marriage is hard work. There's a lot that goes into it. It's not an easy thing. It doesn't just come naturally. And so we've asked that question, Amy and I, and said, God, what is it? What's going to take us down that path? And we feel like that there's something, and I feel like there's something that the Lord shared with me. Um, that we've, we've lived this out, not always successfully, um, but really it came to light um, as I was studying for this message. And it's this idea, this mentality, this is what I believe that Amy and I, if I could share anything with you one, uh, in one shot about marriage, and this is what we're learning, this is what I would challenge you with. And it's the idea, write it down, if you guys have a piece of paper, it is give back better than what you are given. Give back better. Better than what you are given. This, I promise you, is how your marriage will thrive. Now, while we as believers, and I am 100% bought into this, believe that God needs to be the center of your relationship, He needs to be the third cord that binds you together, it requires you to take effort to make your marriage work. You can't just get married and believe that God's just going to work everything out because the reality is, is there's, there's two fallible people involved in this marriage that you have to really put energy and effort into. I believe though that there are things that we can do in our marriages that will bless it and things that will curse it, things that will put it down a path that will make it succeed and things that will take it down a path where the only end is destruction. And I really honestly believe you, I believe, I really honestly believe to tell you that if there was one thing for you to think about, it would be the thought, give back better than what you're given because that's how your marriage is going to thrive. If you guys have your Bible, open up to Romans chapter 12, verses 17 and 18. I'm taking this from the message. Normally, I don't read from the message, but I think the way that it says it just puts it really in modern English that makes a whole lot of sense, and it doesn't take away anything from the translation. Romans chapter 12, verses 17 and 18, it says this, don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. Here's the thought, it's easy to give love when you're receiving love, it's easy to be nice when somebody's being nice to you. What's not easy though, is when you're in a relationship, especially a marriage, the most intimate of physical relationships that you can be in, when the other person's not being nice to you, it's really easy not to be nice back to them. That's the world that we live in, that's the fallible human way that we walk. It's easy to give back love when you receive love, but it's not so easy to give love when you don't feel like you're receiving it from your partner. There's a book written by a guy named Dr. Henry Cloud. You may have heard of him. He's, an, he's a brilliant man. Um, uh, he, he's, he's written 15 books, I believe it is, but he wrote a book called The Nine Things You Simply Must Do. An incredible read. Pick it up if you, if you uh, want to be successful in life is the way that I think that he writes that whole book. Um, but in, in his book, he talks about this principle and he says it this way. He talks about this principle of, of giving back better than what you've received, but he says it this way, and this, hopefully this will steer in your memory. He says, don't play fair. Well, we're like, are you kidding me? I was raised my whole life as a kid taught to play fair. You know, I was, I was raised that you share, and then if somebody gives you something, you give them something back. You know, if, if, you got, if you have kids, you'll realize, you know, when one of them gives a piece of candy, they're expecting a piece of candy back because that's what fair is. If one of them gets to, to do this for such amount of time, the other one, at some point in time, is going to expect to do the same thing because that's what's fair. And so we raise our kids to be fair, and we're taught to be fair our whole lives. And so this idea and this mentality of in your marriage or in any relationship, really, of not being fair? Are you kidding me? How does that make successful life? Well, it's very simple. Here's the reality. Plain fair means you give what you get. So plain fair in in life, it means that if somebody's nice to you, you're gonna be nice to them. If somebody's mean to you though, you're gonna give that person what they have coming to them because that's fair, right? As long as everything's peachy in our relationships and in our marriage, it's easy to give back something that's a blessing and something that's nice. It's easy to say nice things. It's easy to buy nice stuff. It's easy to do nice, loving things to our spouse when they're loving us back. That's fair. But what's also fair, if we're playing the fair game, is when we do something to our spouse, they react to it and they do something negative back to us, something harsh, something worse, something meaner, something harder. That's fair, right? But you can't play that game in marriage. If you want your marriage to succeed, if you want any relationship in your life to succeed, you can't play fair. Because the the walking down the path, walking down the road of being fair in our our marriages and in our relationships, it's it's, it's a dead end. There's no resolve to it. Once you start the cycle of being fair, somebody in that relationship is gonna do something that's not right something that's hurtful to the other person, something that's mean, something that's rude, and you start a cycle that you will never break out of, and there's no redemption from if one of you doesn't choose to stop playing fair. The example is, is if you do good to me, I'm going to do good to you, but if you don't do good to me in my marriage, in our relationship, I'm going to show you what you deserve. I'm going to give it to you. You have to stop playing fair in order for your marriage to succeed. So I thought about this idea, what does this look like in our marriage? It looks like this. When I make a mistake, which I make a lot of mistakes. I mean a lot of mistakes. That's my wife. When I make a mistake, Amy has to help me. She can't get back at me. She has to do better. I make a mistake. She has to do better and help me, not get back at me. When I fail, which I will fail and I have failed, Amy has to do better, not worse than I did. When I do wrong, Amy has to show me and direct me how to get back on the right track, not get even with me. And I have to do the same thing for her. You see, here's the reality: the world that we live in, it, it really goes against this stream and this mentality. It says if somebody does something wrong to you, then you can you have every right, every privilege, every ability. To get back at them for that, to give them what they deserve. But if you want a marriage that thrives, if you want a marriage that's blessed, then I charge you, give back better than what you've been given. When your spouse makes a mistake, you have to step in and make up for that and pull them up to the level that you're at at that point. The world says that I'll be nice as long as you're nice but marriage can't and it won't work that way. Maybe your marriage, maybe you're one of those people that's just like, I'll never get divorced. And so I'm just going to hold on to this forever. But if you're not living in this principle, just because you're not divorced doesn't mean you have a successful marriage. It doesn't mean that it's thriving. It doesn't mean that it's blessed. God wants your marriage to thrive. He wants your marriage to be blessed. He wants it to be everything that he's created it to be. He's the author of marriage. He's the perfecter of marriage. In fact, he's the one that we look to as the example Of how to be a spouse. You know, as I said before at the beginning of this, Amy and I both have succeeded at this many times and we've failed at this many times. Today, we will succeed many times and we will fail many times. I think though, back through successes and through failures, in my life at least, and I realize that there's a great enemy of actually not playing fair. There's a great enemy of giving back better than what you've been given. And for me at least, that enemy is anger. The enemy is, is pride. It's, it's that thought that, how could you do this to me? How could you save that? And then I start to think about it, and then I start to mull over it, and then I get angry. What's going on in her heart? Who does she think that she is? She's not perfect. Are you kidding me? So I'm going to show her how imperfect she is, and here's how I'm going to do it. I'm gonna treat her negatively and then it turns into I'm gonna say nasty things about her I'm gonna be mean to her I'm just gonna ignore her or whatever and I've started a cycle that's actually exactly the opposite of what I believe in my heart should be I have to release that anger and I have to act in a way that is above when she does something that's above it's greater than the way she's acted and she has to do the same thing for me because the reality is is you have an opportunity when you act in the opposite Not just the opposite spirit, but when you do better than what's been done to you, you actually have the opportunity of bringing that other person, your spouse, up to the level that you're at. You have the opportunity of taking your situation and scenario in marriage out of the dumps and the pits that you can walk into right at that place and pull it back up into the place of redemption. Back up into the place that God wants to be everything in that. How he wants to bless it is just... It's unfathomable sometimes. When we act in such a small way of giving back better than what we've been given, the things that can happen are miraculous in your relationships. You can't let anger control you. You can't let pride control you. You have one of two options. I've realized this in my own life. I either can let anger control me and put my marriage into a place where it never was created to be, or I can control my anger and turn it into an inspiration to bless my marriage and to pull that thing up into the place that God wants it to be. There is no middle ground. You will either allow that passion, negative passion, many times inside of you to to destroy your marriage, or you will allow it to be the driving force that says, I'm going to pull my spouse up right now. I'm going to give back better than what I've been given. Romans twelve twenty one says it this way. This is again from the message. It says, don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. You're not going to get the best of evil by doing evil. You're not. Evil actually has gotten the best of you at that point. The only way that you're going to get the best of evil, that you're going to get the best of wrongdoing in your marriage and in your relationship and in your life and in any relationship that you have is by doing good, by doing better than what has been given and been done to you. So how do we do it? I think simply put, I just wrote this down. When you're faced, and I say you're, any person in this room that has any relationship outside of this room, but specifically those who are married. When you're faced with a fair situation, a situation when you have the opportunity to give back what was given to you, it is your responsibility to love in a more mature way. It is your responsibility to love in a more mature way. So many times we're so focused on the wrong that has happened and the difficulty that's been processed and the things that have happened that we're waiting for that person to ask for forgiveness. We're like, if they just say that they were wrong, then I could say, yep, you're right, you're wrong. Okay, now I forgive you. It doesn't always work that way. Really, the reality of the situation is, regardless of how your other, how your spouse responds, it is your responsibility to act in a more mature way. Bottom line then the success of your marriage relies on you, not on your spouse. Then the ability to come up to a new level relies on you, not on the person who's done the wrong. So often we throw the ball in the other court and we say, well, if they didn't do that, we wouldn't be here. I don't care, that may be true, but it's now your responsibility to take your spouse and to pull them up into the place that your marriage can thrive. It is. Because here's what I believe biblically. When you get married, there's a holy union that two people become one. This is not 50% 50%. It's not like you give your 50% and I'll give my 50%. If you only give 48%, I'm giving 47%. No. Marriage is 100%, 100%. You are always to be giving everything that you have to your spouse. And that is the way that God has created it. So regardless of if they're succeeding or failing at giving their 100%, it is your responsibility to give your 100% into that relationship. And that means 100% of your love, 100% of your life, 100% of your blessing, 100% of what God has given you to bring to that marriage. To do better than what you've been given. If we can live this principle out successfully, I believe that we will walk into places in our marriages that we could not even fathom the blessing that God would want to bring upon them. Like I said, marriage is supernatural. God has established it. God has put it into motion. God is the author of it. God is the one that binds it all together. And while I believe all of that is 100% true, I also 100% believe that if you only rely on that Supernatural portion of it, your marriage will never thrive because you've never taken the responsibility to actually make your marriage something worth having. You have the ability with this principle of not playing fair, of giving back better than what you're given. You have the ability in your hands and in your control to bless your marriage or to curse your marriage. And I don't know about you, but I want to bless my marriage I'm not always successful at doing it. In the past eight years, there's been a lot of highs, and there's been a lot of lows, and a lot of lows have been my fault that we've set in those lows because I didn't choose to live by these principles. I chose to be drugged down into a place that I never should have been in that started a process that my mind just wasn't thinking about giving back better than what I was given. But if I had thought about it from the beginning, think about every fight you've ever had. Think about every knockdown drag out. Think about those ones that have lasted for days and days and days. And think about, what if I had responded differently in that situation? What if I had given my spouse back something that was far greater than I thought they deserved, but it's what my responsibility was as a husband or as a wife? Can you imagine how that can transform our marriages? I believe it can save marriages. You know, we've made the statement before that no marriage is beyond repair, and I fully, 100% believe that. The goal in this, it's not to become a doormat. This is not to say, well, you just got to lay down and let them do whatever they want. No, I mean, there's limits, and I believe biblically there's even limits. And that's not, those are the rare exceptions. Those are the things that, I'm not here to talk about those rare exceptions. What I'm here to talk about is is marriage, and I believe that God wants to breathe life into every marriage. No matter how low it may be right now, or how high it may be, God wants to bring a new anointing to your marriage. And you have the ability to help usher that in. I have the ability in my marriage today To do something that's going to bring life, or that'll bring death. Because as we know, we're all sinners. We will all do things in our relationships, in our marriages, that we may deserve to get something bad in return. But thank God that's not the God that we serve. And hopefully, as we learn these principles and as we act them out in our lives, we can move forward in places that are going to bless ours. No matter what happens, you can't play fair. Life is not tit-for-tat. If it is, your relationships will never succeed. Your marriage will not thrive. I promise you, if you play that game, you will walk down the path of death for your marriage. And I'm not trying to speak that over your marriage. What I'm trying to do is bring a reality. It ain't going to happen. It ain't going to work. It's not. Fair is what will end a marriage because there's absolutely no resolution when we're fair. Resolution comes when somebody, one of the parties in that marriage, decides to say, I'm going to give back better than what I've been given. I'm going to close with Luke chapter 6, verses 32 through 35. I'm going to invite our worship team up here. Luke chapter 6, verse 32 through 35 says this, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. It's like big deal. It's easy to love somebody when they love you. It's easy to be nice to somebody when they're nice to you. Don't go around boasting about loving somebody or being nice to somebody because they're nice to you. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. That doesn't make you a Christian. Doing good to somebody who does good to you? Anybody can do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. Now here's the kicker, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. I don't know if you've been married long enough, maybe your marriage is perfect, but mine sure is not, and I have many times felt like my wife is my enemy. But if I read this verse, it's telling me in those times when I have felt like my spouse was my enemy, what's my responsibility? Love her and do good to her and give to her without expecting anything back. This is not do better so that I get better. Now, that will happen, but it's not for the repayment process. It's because this is what God has said to do. Love your spouse even when they're your enemy and do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Why? Because then your reward will be great. then your reward would be great. I want a great reward in my marriage. I want a great reward in all the marriages of our church. You know, I know that eight years is not a whole long time to be married. But I do know this. This principle is true whether you've been married for eight days or eight minutes or eight years or 80 years. If you give back better than what you've been given, your marriage will thrive. Bottom line. Because that's the way God's established it. Because that's where life and blessing will come and you have the opportunity to make that choice. I have the opportunity to make that choice. When I walked through those situations with my wife of losing children, you better believe we had some of the worst fights of our lives because the way that I processed it and the way that she processed it were very different. The way that I was either close or distant from God depending on which one and the way that she was closer or distant from God, we were on such different playing fields. And the only way to get beyond some of these things in life is not to just say, well, let's just deal with it. Well, let's just bury it. Well, let's just have irreconcilable differences and leave each other. The way to handle it is regardless of the situation you're put into, regardless of why you're in this situation and regardless of who put you in that situation, you have to give back better than you've been given. And then your marriage will thrive. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. God, I thank you that your word is truth. I thank you that these are not just good principles, God. These are supernatural things that you have put into motion. And when we walk them out, when we follow them out in our marriages, Lord God, and when we do these in our relationships, Father, that we will be blessed abundantly and we will see your life. I thank you for the marriages of this church, Lord God. I pray that every person sitting in here, every person that may hear this message on the live stream, every person that may hear this later on, Lord God, I pray for blessing on their marriages, Lord, but I pray even more so that they would take the strength, I pray that they would take wisdom, Lord God, I pray that they would take the ability that you've given them in their hands to bless their marriage and they would bless it. I pray that you would lift The marriages that are in the dumps right now, in the pits, that feel like that there's a place of irreconcilable differences, Lord God, I pray that you would give them the strength to give back better than what they've been given and that you would anoint that and that you would bless it and you would restore that marriage, Lord God. And I thank you for the marriages in this church right now that are doing well and that they're great, Lord God, and I just pray that you would bring them to a whole new level through this process. We give you our lives, Lord God. We say that we want to be vessels for your spirit of life and of truth and of peace and of blessing in our marriages. We give you that authority, Lord God. We will be the hands and the feet in our relationships, Lord God. I thank you that we don't have to do it alone. I thank you that we don't have to do it on our own strength, that you give us more than we could ever imagine to be able to walk these things out. And we give you that opportunity in our lives today. We say we love you. In your name we pray. Everyone said, amen.